0: beautiful to come and worship and be reminded of God's faithfulness. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you would open your Bibles with me and as you do, we're going to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. And if you can stand with me, we're going to read God's word. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, when you got it, say, so. so. All right, we're going to read from verses 1 to 11. It says this. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you for the reminders, Lord, of who you are and your faithfulness. May you speak to us this day as we begin in this new series in this book of Philippians. God, I just pray that you would build our faith in a greater way in you, that you would help us to focus on you, and more than anything, God, that you help us to become more like Jesus. Father, may we be doers of your word, not hearers alone. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so this morning we are beginning a new series, and we are in the book of Philippians. And so for the next few weeks, we will from now all the way up until Advent, we will be walking through the book of Philippians, very important book. And this morning I'm going to speak to you a message that is entitled, Why Philippians? Why Philippians? And the, the sermon series in, is entitled Indivisible. And the one thing that I realized, and, I, and, and over the last few weeks as we have talked and we've gone through the scriptures talking about where we stand as a church, the one thing that I have tried to drive home over and over again is how important unity is for us as the body of Christ. Where we stand as the church is so very important in this moment in time in which we live. And so during this season that we see this social unrest and the discouragement that is in our culture, coupled with the polarization that has found a foothold in the church. If there's one thing that saddens me more than anything else, and I believe saddens the heart of God, is the division that there is amongst the people of God. That there is a polarity. It's one thing when the culture is polarized. It's one thing when the world is polarized and people are pulling left and right. It's a totally different thing when the church is polarized. It's a totally different thing when the church is polarizing. As I'm thinking about this, it's kind of like in a home. Like, and you know, when if mom and dad are at odds and one is pulling in this direction and one is pulling in that direction, it creates what? It creates an insecurity. It creates some kind of feelings in the home. And it is the same thing in this moment. It's like mom and dad. There's something going on. One pastor says this. Another pastor says this. One church is doing this. Another church is doing that. Wait, wait, wait wait, 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 it's not just something that our culture should be, but the church should be indivisible, we should be united around the truth, and when you look at the book of Philippians, the the book of Philippians is a book that calls us to oneness with a tone of joy, I love it, It calls us to unity with a tone of joy. Throughout this book, you'll hear joy repeated over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord is a familiar scripture in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing. And so we know these scriptures that that we're reminded when we think of the book of Philippians but there's another theme that comes throughout the book and it's to be of one mind, to be of one spirit, to be of one heart. Chapter 2 is where we're going to look at in, in, in a in a couple of weeks when we get there, but what I want you to do, I always give you guys some memory verse, or, or verses, and this one is going to probably be our longest set of memory verses, so we're actually going to memorize, if you want to memorize it, it's entirely up to you, but verses 5 through 11, someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Just jump over there real quick with, with me and look at what Paul says here because this is what I believe is the theme of this book. And Paul says it this way. He says, let this mind be in you, which also which which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he hung humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our memory verse. It's a lot. But you know what? It reminds us of what? Verse 5 is where I think the key is. Let what? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, the book of Philippians is one of the prison epistles. It's one of the epistles that Paul wrote, like with Ephesus, Colossians, Philemon. He was incarcerated. And you would think whenever you get a letter from someone who is incarcerated, especially for doing good, right, or someone who, as we'll say it this way, is innocent of evil, there's going to be some discouragement that is there, right? That's what you would think. However, the apostle Paul is optimistic. He's joyful. He's a man with purpose. If you read those prison epistles, you're encouraged because, man, he is dropping knowledge. He is giving revelation. He is giving truth. He is calling people to live for the glory and the honor of God. He, he doesn't get on a soapbox and start whining and weeping, but there is joy in his heart. The, reason, the, the question is this, Why? Why does he have joy in such bad circumstances? I mean, really, he's locked up in his potential, right? He's he's hopeful that he's going to get out, but the potential is that he is going to be killed for the gospel, that he is going to die a martyr's death for the gospel, and yet he is encouraged. And the reason why the apostle rejoiced in spite of his circumstances, and hear this now, it is because his circumstances strengthened the fellowship of the gospel, which we'll talk about today. It promoted the furtherance of the gospel, which we'll talk about next week and it guarded the faith of the gospel which we'll talk in three weeks what the apostle paul understood listen to me now his circumstance the difficulty that he was in the hardship that he was going through was going to be used by god to do something great in regards to the gospel You know what happens to us in our lives? We look at our circumstances, our situations that are negative, and we're like, I can't believe God left me here. Instead of realizing, man, how is God going to use this? How is God going to use this circumstance? How is God going to use this situation to further the gospel? Because guess what? Newsflash, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's, listen, it is about the glory of Jesus. Question, what is Jesus trying to do in your life? What is Jesus trying to do through your life? You may have some difficulty. You may have some hardship. You may have some frustration. But here is the question. What is it that Christ is trying to do in your life? And this is what I believe. God wants us to be the light that shines in the midst of this dark world. As we look at what's going on in our world, what does God want from you? He doesn't want you to jump on some bandwagon. He wants you to be a a person who is focused on the mission of being light in the midst of a dark world. Let me say it like this. I want you to think about this this morning. Being the light is only possible when the church is unified around the gospel. Being the light... Is only possible when the church is unified around the gospel. Listen, we can get around a whole bunch of different stuff, but if we are not around the gospel, we're not going to be the light that God wants us to be. God has called us to be unified around the gospel. He's called us to be unified around the mission that the gospel gives us. He's called us into this mission with him, and not just with him, but with each other. See, because it's easy to be a a lone ranger, is it not? It's easy to say, well, I'm going to be about the father's business, forgetting that you're called to be about the father's family as well. We're called to move together in this thing. When the apostle Paul writes, I say this all the time, and I want to continue to reiterate this because we have, we have this, this, this individualism that is like ingrained in us. Like, you know, it's about me, about this. And, and here's what we have to do is that we have to embrace, we have to understand the familial mindset that is in the scriptures. The communal mindset that is in the scriptures, that when we read the epistles, Paul is not just writing to individuals, he's writing to a church. He's writing to a collective group of people, calling them into action, calling them to further the kingdom work that God has called the church to do. So I would ask you to repeat this after me, please. The first thing is this. Say, unity around the gospel gospel. provokes fellowship. Unity around the gospel provokes fellowship. Now we notice the apostle Paul writes, and we'll just read really quick as we look through verses 1 through verse 5 here. But this is what he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so gives us, what does Paul do here? He does his typical greeting of some sort, and he writes to us here and, understand, and gives us some understanding or some insight, because he could have just simply said, I'm writing to the saints. But he says, I'm writing to the saints. But then he also categorizes some other people, the bishops or the overseers, the elders, and the deacons, and so the leadership of the church. So he's writing to this group of people. And as he's writing to them, he says this in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Let me ask you a question. When you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ, are you thankful? (laughs) Let me ask you another question. Are you a person who makes yourself the type of person that people want to be thankful for? Because, you know, some of us, we just act like, well, it don't matter. That's just how I am. That's just who I am. Whatever. They got to get over it. Wait a second. Time out. (laughs) I'm sure the Apostle Paul was rejoicing over people who were loving, gracious, who were seeking to be like, not perfect people, come on now. But people who would, man, I'm thankful for them. When I think about them, and I don't know, I want to be a person that when you think about me, you're thankful now, that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna tell you the truth. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to offend you sometime. That does not mean that I'm not going to fail you, but I am never going to intentionally hurt you. I'm never just gonna be a jerk just to be a jerk. Come on now. <laughs> That's not the heart of someone who loves Jesus and loves brother and sister, right? And so the Apostle Paul says when he thinks about the people of God, when he thinks about the church of Philippi, he thanks God upon every remembrance of them, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all. Verse 5, very important. For your fellowship, the reason why he rejoiced, think about this now. The reason why the remembrance of them brought joy to his heart was, look at verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What brought joy to Paul's heart was because these people had fellowship with him in this gospel work. The gospel provoked fellowship. Now here's the problem. When you hear the word fellowship, 900 different definitions came to your mind. You thought about a party. You thought about a meal together. You thought about playing golf. You thought about all kind of stuff. Let me ask you a question. Is any of that the fellowship that's being described in these scriptures? See, the problem with us is that we minimize what fellowship really is. And so when we think about fellowship, fellowship is about community, it's about contribution, and it's about co-laboring. Fellowship is about community. It's about contribution and co-laboring. It is about us working together. I love, we were having a a leadership uh, talk, and we were with Pastor John Kimball, and he was talking about fellowship. And he used the analogy, and, you know, some of you may know, you know, the the Hobbit stuff and all of that stuff, you know, the fellowship of the rings. There, there, There was a fellowship. There was a mission that was involved around this ring, was there not? There, there was something that brought them together. And here's, what, here's, here's one of the issues with the church today, if I can just be 100% honest with you, is that we're trying to get people to gather around the wrong things. We want, we want people to come. Listen, if, we, if you think about this, everybody in this room except for this young lady right here who is my sister and this young man right here who is my daughter, everyone, even my wife who is right there, young man, young man who is my son, sorry, my bad, my son, glory to God. Let's get it straight. Let's get it straight. Wrong church. I'm letting you know. My son, except for my son. <laughs> my daughter's somewhere around here. But, 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 but anyway, thank you for c- catching that. And, and um... Every person in this room, do you know what brought us together? It wasn't golf, it wasn't a barbecue, it's not even the city of Oviedo. You know what brought us together? The gospel. The reason why we are in this place together, none of us, if, you, if, we, if each and every one of us sits down and has a conversation, the thing that brought us together is the gospel. What do you think is going to further that? It's the gospel. It's not some other mission. It's not some other situation. It is a church committed to the gospel. Paul was encouraged, not just because Philippi, and Philippi, you can go back to the book of Acts chapter 16, and you'll remember a story where Paul and Silas, they were in prison, and you know the story, they were singing and praising. At midnight, the the prison doors were open, and if you remember, that jailer was from where he was from, Philippi. You go backwards, and you see that the apostle Paul got the call to Macedonia, and he began to preach, and so Philippi was the first church that the apostle Paul planted. And listen, I know a little bit about church planting, because you, this church, is a church that I planted, and so this church will be dear in my heart for every day of my life. I don't plan on going anywhere, I just want to let y'all know. But here's the deal no matter what, like this is a special thing. But here's why Paul was so motivated and why he held the Philippians to his heart it wasn't just because they were the first church plant, it's because of their fellowship in the gospel. It's because of their contribution. It's because of the community. It's because of their co-laboring in the work of the kingdom that Paul rejoiced. The apostle Paul held them this way in their heart, in their mind because of what? He prayed for them. Think about this. As you read through what we're seeing here, the apostle Paul held the church of Philippi in his mind. He held them in his heart, and he held them in his prayers. That's how we should hold one another, is it not? You should be in my my mind. I should be in your mind. Your brothers and sisters should be in your mind. You know, when I come in here and I have my, you know, times of prayer or worship and I walk around, when I look around here, right, I remember certain people, right, because I look over here and I think about those who minister. When I look on the, I think about those who minister when I go out there in the parking lot. I think about those who minister when I go around CORE Kids in the area. I think about those who minister when I'm not here, I'm thinking about, those who minister and serve beside me those are the ones that are coming to my mind they should not just be in my mind they should be in my heart I should love them I should care for them and I should not just think about them and love them I should pray for them see when we're doing those things you know what happens unity happens unity occurs Because I'm thinking about you, even though I'm not with you, I'm not there with you at that moment. Here's the beauty of this, just like the Philippians, even though they weren't with Paul, they weren't near him, they weren't far from him either. They weren't in the same place he was, but they were in the same place he was. They weren't standing in the same square box where he was, but they were standing where he was. Because they were in fellowship. So here's the question that we have, because God has called us in the gospel mission of making disciples. He's called us into that. The question is, or a couple of questions, are this, are you in fellowship? Are you in fellowship? So so let me help you to uh, unpack that because you're like, oh, yes, I'm in fellowship. But let's be sure you're in fellowship, right? If you you went to the doctor, the doctor would be like, hey, do this, do that. And you would know if you were healthy or not, take a, you know, blood test or whatever the case is. They'd check some markers, know if this was high, that was low, what you got to do. They would do all that. Well, 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 I'm going to be your doctor just for a moment. And I'm going to ask you some questions here. And these are rhetorical questions for you to just think about. But the first question is this. Are you supporting the mission and community? So let me break it down for you. In Core Faith Church, are you connected? Are you connected? Connected is our, is our small groups. Those are small groups. Very, very important that you are connected. Because if you are not connected with the body, if you are not connected in fellowship, and listen, I know it's tough right now, right? You know, I mean, we got folks in here. We're wearing masks and all this kind of stuff. We're social distance. We can't be as close as we would love to be, right? Anyway, because you don't want to sit right on top of each other. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, "Praise the Lord for social distancing." They're like, yes, I need six feet, amen. Like, you know, personal space, right? I know it's tough in this moment to come together in that small group setting, but listen, we offer Zoom. Come on now. You get on Google Hangouts. You got some groups that are meeting outside, outdoors, so that we have fresh air, you know, because we got to circulate things. Hmm. There is no excuse for anyone who calls himself a Christian not to be connected with other parts of the body. And let me say it, Sunday morning is never enough. Sunday morning is not enough because you know what, on Sunday you put on your best. <laughs> on Sunday morning you bring that smile, you you bring that praise or whatever the case is. And I've been there, done that as the pastor. I mean, we've been on our way to church. Come on now. i never forget one story. I'll tell you this one story real quick and then, you know, we'll, we'll move on because I, I, I only like to confess a little bit. But... Long time ago, I remember we were on our way to church, my daughter, my my daughter, correctly, my daughter, in the back seat, she was probably three years old or something like that, and she's in her car seat, and we're driving to church, and my wife and I are having an intense conversation, aka an argument, right, so... We are, we are engaging one another with intensity and passion, and as I'm doing that, my foot is not cooperating with, you know, it is cooperating with my brain and my emotions, and I was going a little bit faster, and I didn't hit the brake fast enough, and so I grabbed the brake real quick to make this left turn I had to make to turn into the church parking lot. Come on now. And my daughter is in her car seat. I told you about her. We forgot to strap her car seat in. And so we hear my daughter go, boom, forward in her car seat because of what? She wasn't strapped in. Hit the brakes. She came forward. That was one of those moments. And then you know what I had to do when we got to church? We had to do, she had to lead worship. I had to preach the word. Uh, if I didn't tell you that story, you wouldn't know about it. it. wasn't like we walked in the church giving each other the evil eye, silent treatment, you know. You would never know. But here's, here's what happened. Sunday morning, you're never going to know that kind of stuff. You're never going to know those things but you have to be connected with other brothers and sisters. You've got to be in relationship with them. Not just for yourself. But remember our Core Connect life groups are about what? Growing upward in our relationship with God, growing inward in relationship with one another and growing outward in our reaching into our communities. That's what our Core Connect life groups are about. And so the first question is, are you supporting the mission? Are you in fellowship in the mission and community? The second thing, are you supporting the mission Via contribution. In other words, are you giving consistently to the work of the ministry? Now listen, I wish I could tell you that I go on and I look and see who gives and what. I don't do all that. So this is a question for you to ask yourself. Are you giving consistently to the work of the ministry? The one thing that has to happen is this, is that if you are following Christ, you don't just follow him in word, you follow him in deed. <laughs> he, he should own your wallet as well as everything else. Amen. <laughs> That's like the hardest thing for many of us to give to the Lord is our money. I'm a firm believer in tithing, giving 10%. At least, at minimum, I believe in the biblical principle of tithing, that that's something that we should do. That we should, And, and I don't just believe in it, but I believe that it should be the first thing on our budget. Not the last thing if I have enough. It's the first thing and we're going to figure everything else out. Hopefully you figure stuff out before then so you're not in a bad place. But here's the deal. Are you contributing to the mission? Ask the question, are you in fellowship? Yeah, that's part of it. Contribution, we'll get there when we get to chapter 3. And we see where the apostle is is, is praising them because of their contribution. Because of what they are doing. The third question that I would ask you to help you to see if you are in fellowship is this. Is are you supporting the mission as a co-laborer? Are you using your gifts to serve? See, we have to be using our gifts to serve. If we're really committed to the mission, if we're really in fellowship, how has God gifted you? Where has he given you gifts? Listen, and I know, I know all about time constraints. Yesterday we were in our uh, men's gathering. We were going through the, the Christian man. We were going through the book. Thanks, Pastor Rick. Appreciate you advising us on that. Uh, we, you know, started going through this book, The Christian Man. As we're walking through that, we're talking about children, talking about parenting, And as we're talking and we're having this discussion, you know, Alex Bravo and I, we were talking about school and being married with kids and school, hallelujah. Pastor Aldo knows all about that, right? But here, here is what I love. This is what I appreciate so much is that I know the pain of being a father, of being a husband, of being a minister in the church, of having work that I've got to do and also going to school and not saying, well, you know what, I don't have enough time. You know why? Because God has given me gifts I have to use for the glorification of his name and the edification of his body. I have to say, God, use me. No matter what, I've got to say, God, use me. I'm going to have to sacrifice some stuff. That means that I can't watch all the TV I may want to watch. Hello. I may not be able to go and play all the games that I want to play. But I am given to using the gifts that God has given me in order to serve his body. In order to further his kingdom. The second thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say unity around the gospel gospel. develops assurance. Unity around the gospel develops assurance. Look at verse 6. Paul, as he's talking about how he prays and how he's appreciative, he says, being confident of this very thing. And Pastor Aldo alluded to this as he was exhorting us earlier. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul had an assurance. The Apostle Paul was sure that God would complete what he started in the Philippians. Can I ask you why? Why was he sure of this? Why was he sure of this? He was sure of this. I mean, Paul was like a doctor of what we would consider today. He didn't have like an honorary doctorate or anything like that. Like he had an earned doctorate degree in theology. This was a guy that was a vehement opponent of the church. He was persecuting the church because he felt like they were bringing a false message, like they were talking about other gods. And Paul's eyes were open on the road, of the, on the road to Damascus and he came to encounter Jesus Christ, the central figure, of the gospel. And what Paul began to do immediately after his eyes were opened and the scales were removed is he went into the synagogues and he began to defend this Jesus. How did he do that? He went through the Old Testament prophecies, which there are over a hundred Old Testament prophecies that have to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to be the Messiah. All of those prophecies the Apostle Paul began to communicate, which showed that Jesus is Messiah. When you read through the Gospels, you see what? You see all of the signs that Jesus did that affirm that he was the Messiah. And then the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they do what? They are the final claim that he is the Messiah. See, the gospel does what? It creates assurance because we understand that God who created all things good, that that man who messed stuff up and couldn't save himself, and God who rescued him from himself. That God who came in the form of man, as we read in the scriptures in chapter 2, came and lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, rose a triumphant resurrection from the dead. He does what? He offers life to men. And Paul understood that. But here's what I want to tell you. It wasn't only the gospel that gave him assurance. It was also the work of God he saw in their lives. See, because it's one thing to know the gospel, but here's the thing. You know how I know God is going to complete his work in us? Because I see his work in us. (laughs) I can't be assured that God is going to do something in you or do something in me if I don't see God working in you. Turn my head sideways like, hmm, is God working there? (laughs) I can't be assured that God, see, the one thing that I know is that no matter how imperfect someone may be, no matter how, you know, how much of a work in progress, because, you know, all of us are at a different phase in the work. All of us are at a different place in the work that is going on in our lives. All of us are at different phases, but no matter how much of a work in progress someone is, if I see the work, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what I know? God's not done with you. God is still working on you. I see the work of the gospel inside of us. The apostle Paul's faith in God's ability wasn't that, it it wasn't, that wasn't the only factor. He knew what God was able to do, but he saw the work in the people. How did he see the work in them? He saw the work in them because of their fellowship in the gospel. That no matter what the circumstance was, if he was in prison, they were still in fellowship with him. No matter what it was, if he was being threatened to death, they were still in fellowship with him. If it was defending the faith, they were still in fellowship with him. They didn't give up their fellowship, their commitment to the gospel. And Paul saw that as a marker of what? Of what God was doing within them. See, our assurance of God's work in us individually and collectively should be a force for unity. It should draw us together. It should draw us to one another because when we see God's work in each other's life, you know what that should do? You should be in my mind. You should be in my heart. You should be in my prayers. And when I see you faltering, I should be praying for you, not judging you, not throwing stones at you, not saying, oh, man, I knew it. I knew it was just just a matter of time before they fell off. Hold on a second. Where is my care, my concern? Where is your care and concern for those who are growing, developing in their faith? We have to be those who are saying, okay, God, I, I, I pray for them. I lift them to you. Strengthen their faith. Build their faith. God, give me courage to be a brother or sister in their life and come to them in love and grace and communicate the truth. That's what we're supposed to do, Church. It should be drawing us together. No matter how messy the situation is, no matter how difficult the moment is, God's grace should motivate us toward one another as we are sure that God will finish what he started in us. Not just you. Paul wasn't writing to an individual saying, I know that he who begun a good work in you, when he says you, remember I taught y'all a word last week? Use. (laughs) Use. That's a Greek word, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm just kidding. (laughs) He who begun, began, he who started a good work in us, (laughs) use, (laughs) will complete it. He will bring it to completion. Listen, I'm incomplete without you. Did you hear me? I am incomplete without you. You are incomplete without me. We need each other. So that way we can do what? We can fulfill what God wants. We can complete and bring and be brought to completion. In other words, man, we got to stand by each other. We, and not, not because of us, but because of the gospel. The third thing that I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say unity around the gospel, unity around the gospel. inspires love. Unity around the gospel inspires love. Paul closes this thought with verse 9 and 11, 9 through 11. He says, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, here's what I know is that as Paul prayed, and this is not the only time in the prison epistles that we see Paul praying. and every one of these prison epistles, you see the apostle Paul pray in the book of Ephesians. uh, He prays a couple of different prayers that he writes out. In the book of Colossians, he prays prayers, and he communicates his heart, his his heart and what he is praying. And and I always say this whenever we come to the apostle Paul's prayers. Listen, if there's one prayer you want to imitate, it's his. You may not want to imitate everybody else's prayers, but his his prayers are inspired by the Lord in this sense that God inspired these words to be written for us to look at them and say, this is how we should pray for ourselves, but this is also how how we should pray for others. And what does Paul pray? He prays that we, and, and this is such an important prayer, especially in the moment in which we live, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. That your love would abound. See, here's what we have to understand: is that the deeper we grow in our understanding and appreciation of the gospel, the more our love will grow for the Lord and for others. See, we think about this gospel, when you really think about it, and you and and, and man, you just you just contemplate: man, I was lost, I was hopeless. There was nothing that I could do in order to save myself. No matter how good I thought I was, no matter how good I thought I could be, no matter how much good I thought I could do, I was on my way to hell. I mean, that is what happens to someone who is separated from God because of their sin. When I think about that and I realize Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. He died for my family. He died to redeem us. He died for our community. He died for our nation. He died for our world. When I think about that and I rehearse those realities and those truths, it does something to my heart. It stirs. It stokes. It it emboldens the love for God that moves me to love others. See, but here's what I want you to understand about love is that love, it is not sentiment alone. Love, Paul didn't say, I pray that your love would abound more and more, and and that was it. He didn't say that. I pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. See, because love goes from being this feeling to something that is what? It's discernment. It's understanding what is true and what is right. It go, it, it, this love grows as our knowledge of God grows. See, it's not enough just to say, man, God, I want my love to grow. You need to be in your word saying, God, I want my love to grow. Lord, I want my love for you to grow. I want my love, I want my understanding for you to grow. Because as you read through these words, and listen, this is why we have to understand. God's word, God's word is not some dead book that doesn't matter. His words are living and active. And as you're in his word, I always share this. When I was when I was like a couple of months old in the Lord, I remember reading, and I believe it's 2 Timothy and the Apostle Paul, he's calling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And I remember I'm reading, I'm a baby in the Lord. I don't know what an evangelist is, but as I'm reading through the text, I'm weeping. I don't even know why I'm crying. God is calling me in that moment through his word that is living, and he was communicating something to me in those moments, and listen, that's what God wants to do to us. If you will get into his word as though you are coming, listen, I'm all all for, I like all my books, almost all my books are on the Kindle, because I can access them anywhere I go, but let me tell you something, there is nothing like being alone with God in his word and just meditating before his presence. It's all good, I know some of you have your Bible that reads to you, and you don't like to reading all that listen you've got to meditate on this word you've got to spend time in the presence of God allowing him to ravish your heart with his love allowing him to break chains to break bondages off of you to build you in a place of love I didn't even know how to love biblically until I got into his word his word changed my life he wants to do the same for every one of us As we're in his word, he wants us to grow in knowledge. He wants us to grow in discernment. He wants us to grow in our understanding of what what his word says. Because then what happens is we start to live differently. As Paul prayed, he prayed not only that, but he prayed that we would do what? That we would bear fruit. It sounds like John chapter 15, doesn't it? If you go back to John chapter 15, Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. (sighs) He he says every every branch in me that bears fruit is what? It's pruned. So you know what? We're all, if if you're a child of God, you're fruitful. But you know what you need to be? Pruned. It's a painful process. Because there's some dead stuff in our life that we want gone. (sighs) But there's some stuff that's living that God wants gone. There's some things that we're okay if God gets rid of them. But there's some things we're like, nope, I don't want that to be gone. And God has said, yeah, I need that to be gone. If you're going to bear more fruit, that's got to go. If you're going to be more fruitful, you got to get that out of here. If you are going to be a person who is living for my glory and my honor, you've got to get that stuff out of your life. Because what? Because the Lord wants us to bear more fruit, more fruit, not just some fruit, more fruit and more fruit. And when you think you've arrived, guess what he does? He shows you, you haven't arrived. You're on your way, but you haven't arrived. Son, daughter, you're doing good, but I got more for you. I want you to look more like me. You know what? I want the world to look at you and I want them to see me. That's the goal. See, in this moment that we're living him, I don't, I don't think that there is a more appropriate prayer than to ask God for an abundance of biblical love to flood our lives. I remember being in a prayer, in, in a prayer meeting some years ago. And as I was in that prayer meeting, I remember, you know, I'm praying, and you guys have heard me pray before, man. I, you know, I pray for power. I pray for the kingdom I pray for God's presence. I pray for revival. I I mean, you guys guys hear me, so you know I pray how I pray. And after all of that, you know, I feel like I prayed this amazing prayer. Because, you know, sometimes you pray prayers like, man, that's a pretty good prayer. (laughs) Sometimes you're like, what was I saying? But other times, you know, you're like, yo, I was in there. Like, I felt the Lord. And all of a sudden, one of the ladies got up, and she she just began to lift up her voice. And she said, Lord pray that you would give us more love for one another. And those sincere, short words made me feel like, man, can I pray again? Because they took my prayer that felt so powerful and so anointed and made me feel like, man, that's what we need. That is what we need. Above everything else is love. Love covers a multitude of sin. It covers all sin. If we had love, the polarization in our churches wouldn't be present. I didn't say disagreement wouldn't be there. We're always going to disagree on stuff. Come on now. Some of y'all have been married how many years? And if you're honest, you're like, yeah, hey, we still disagree on stuff. I'm just like, Whatever. She's wrong, it's all good, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. I know ladies like, Bishop, you're wrong. Whatever, okay, that's fine. We're going to (laughs) disagree. We're going to disagree. That's going to happen. But that doesn't mean we stop loving each other. That doesn't mean we divide from each other. That doesn't mean we pull apart. That means we fight for fellowship. We fight for fellowship. And so my closing question is this: Would you say your life is marked by unity around the gospel? Would you say that? Would you say your life is marked by unity around the gospel? And again, just to to wrap it up with the with the points that we looked at here in this message, are you being provoked to fellowship? Are you being provoked to fellowship? Are you connected? If you're not, I pray that you have been convicted by this message and that you will tell Pastor Aldo when you're leaving here today, Pastor Aldo, i got to get connected. I've got to get connected. I've got to get in a relationship. Are you becoming sure of God's faithfulness in you and in others? Is that happening in you? That you know, man, the the work that God began, he's going to bring it to completion. It may not look like it at this moment, but I know who is promised is faithful. Are you growing in that? If you're not, you're not. You're not you're not you're not unified around the gospel and are you being inspired to love? Are you being inspired to love? As so I wrote this prayer because I want you to pray it with me if you can. But I want you to look at it before I ask you to pray it. Because I don't want you to pray, just repeat after me prayer. I want you to really think about this prayer. And this is what the prayer says. It says, Father, may love abound in my life. May I grow in love with you, with your truth, your word. And may I grow in love for your people, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. May the revelation of who you are through prayer, worship, and meditation on your word develop in me a heart of discernment. May I know right from wrong and live a life of love for you above all else. And Father, may I be blameless in the midst of the perversion surrounding me in this world. May I bear much fruit in living right before you and my fellow man. In Jesus' name, amen. And so my question for you is, can you pray this prayer? Church, we need to be, as the Apostle Paul prayed, abounding in love more and more and knowledge and discernment. And so I just want to ask you to bow your heads right where you are. And if you say, yes, I can pray this prayer, then pray it. If you say, no, that's fine. But if you can pray it, just repeat after me. Say, Father, may love Abound in my life. May I grow in love with you, with your truth, your word, and may I grow in love for your people, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. May the revelation of who you are through prayer, worship, and meditation On your word, develop in me a heart of discernment. May I know right from wrong and live a life of love for you above all else. And Father, may I be blameless in the midst of the perversion surrounding me in this world. May I bear much fruit. In living right right. before you you. and my fellow man. man. In Jesus' name, name. amen. Amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise. He's worthy.